Yeah, when you think about how genetics is used, I mentioned the early days when it was all research, and now we're pretty good at making the diagnosis. You know, if we see someone with a problem, cancer or heart disease or you name it, and then finding the genetic cause. But for me, the big exciting part of this program, one of the big exciting parts, we want to be proactive about the genetics. We want to find a tendency to cancer before it happens. Welcome to the Innovatively Speaking podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Medical University of South Carolina. On this show, we dive into the origins of the next big things, the who, the why, and the how. We explore ideas that are changing what's possible here at MUSC and in some cases all across the world. My name is Kevin Smith here in the MUSC podcast studio. With me, as always, is my co-host, the Chief Innovation Officer at MUSC, Dr. Jesse Goodwin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning to you. Okay, Dr. Daniel Judge is our guest today, and we're going to be discussing genetics. Tell me a little bit about why this is such a fascinating topic. Yeah, I think the field of precision medicine is becoming a bigger topic of conversation and more and more important in the way that we view how to treat patients. Um, and Dan is the principal investigator on a large precision health initiative that is being run at MUSC called NRDNASC. Um, and with the upcoming uh, National DNA Day, he's the perfect guest to come and explain to the audience why we should care about genetics and, and where the field is going. It's exciting. It's a big topic, so let's dive right in. Good morning, Dr. Judge. Uh, so a fascinating conversation on deck today. Set the stage a little bit by telling us how you got interested in genetics. Oh, wow. So genetics is certainly a passion for me. I, I've been interested in it since my early training, uh, and I remember asking the question why. Often enough, we often as Healthcare providers will say, we don't know, and the technical term for that is idiopathic. If you really dig in on that, often there's a genetic tendency to conditions that we don't understand. What's changed over the last few years is that we can now dig in really well, inexpensively, and with more information that's available by DNA that helps us understand conditions. It's amazing to me how far we've come, because it wasn't really that long ago that, you know, we sequenced the first human genome, yeah. and that, like, yeah. you know, it was like the moonshot, right? And, yeah. and now we're, we're down to looking for discrete changes yeah. in DNA that actually cause those conditions, like you said. Um, and, and so you're a cardiologist, I believe, I by training. Yeah. Um, and so what was it within your own particular field that sort of drew you sort of mm. down this path to, to really explore genetics? Yeah, that might not seem like an obvious connection, but the person many people credit the field of genetic medicine to is Victor McCusick. He's passed away, but he is was a cardiologist and he was actually an identical twin and he was fascinated by things that were running in families. Um, so he, he was able to characterize genetic conditions in cardiovascular disease. And I had the opportunity to work with him very early in my career and, and was um, in, you know, really excited about the things that he was doing in that regard. And that was pre-DNA testing and early days of DNA testing when it was very research focused. What's been fun for me as a clinician is to be able to take some of that early research and apply it into practice. Let's back up a step here. Um, you, Jesse, you used the word precision medicine earlier mm -hmm. uh, for, for lay people like myself. Can you maybe unpack what that means yeah. in a little bit more detail? Yeah, it's a term that's tossed around a lot, and let's, let's talk more about what does it mean. I think it can mean different things in different contexts. I think being precise about a diagnosis is important, not saying 
you have a heart problem, but to say, here's the exact cause of that problem or cancer. You know, we know cancer happens for lots of reasons and there's lots of environmental factors that contribute, but there's genetic factors too. So the precision part comes down to not just figuring out a, a gene or a portion of your DNA that's responsible, but right down to the very individual change in that DNA. By knowing that sort of discrete change in the DNA, um, are you able then to sort of select the treatments um, yeah. with with better, I don't say accuracy, but, but with that individual in mind? Yeah, thanks, because that's, when I say precision medicine, it's not just the diagnosis, it's the treatment side. And so let me take that a few different steps. Uh, one is the specific treatment. In some cases, we do have specific treatments for specific DNA changes. In other cases, and this is something great about the program we're doing, we're able to find the right medicine based on your genetic uh, tendency to metabolize. We know some medicines are just not the right combination for you with your DNA. And now we're able to use that information. Yeah, I am. Um have a personal connection to that. Um, so my husband actually has what's called acetylcholine esterase deficiency, oh, yeah. which is a mouthful, but, yeah. but what it really means is that he doesn't process certain types of anesthetic um, appropriately. And the way that they actually found it was that his cousin had surgery and woke up mm. paralyzed oh. um, because they didn't know that she had the genetic disorder. And when they gave her that type of anesthesia, her body couldn't metabolize it. And so you wake up, but you can't actually move. And it's terrifying for them. And so for us, sometimes it's not even about like what type of medicine uh, should you get, but also what kind should you avoid, right? And so now we know that and we test our children, you know, just because, you know, knowing is power sometime, right? So <laughs> knowledge is power. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and speaking of that, I, I uh, jotted down a quote from you, Dr. Judge. Uh, We're doing this to be proactive about health. The idea that knowledge is power. You can use these results to prevent the problem yeah. that's being investigated. That's uh that prevention side yeah. of healthcare is huge, and, and I, this is what this is all kind of pointing towards, right? Yeah. yeah, when you think about how genetics is used, I mentioned the early days when it was all research, and now we're pretty good at making the diagnosis. You know, if we see someone with a problem, cancer or heart disease or you name it, and then finding the genetic cause. But for me, the big exciting part of this program, one of the big exciting parts, is that we'll able we want to be proactive about the genetics. We want to find a tendency to cancer before it happens. Uh, I think one of the stories that I like to point to, and I don't know anything very specifically about uh, Chadwick Boseman, a famous actor from South Carolina. People probably know mm -hmm. that. And he, in very public information, had metastatic colon cancer in his 30s. I don't know if it was genetic, but it has that sound to me. And in the setting of a genetic tendency to cancer, we start screening early. We don't normally do colonoscopies in 30-year-olds to look for polyps, but with a genetic tendency to cancer, we can do that. We can start early and we can find those polyps before they become cancer. And, and actually that is one of the disorders that we look for. Yes, it is. Uh, in, in our DNA, I see a, um, a family of disorders called Lynch syndrome. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what the NRDNASC initiative is mm -hmm. that you're leading? So it's a community health screening program, and I think that's the first way I think about it. We, we have several different areas that we're working on in the long run, but the front piece of this uh, program is the, the screening of three conditions. Three conditions that the CDC says these are proactive conditions. You can find a tendency before the problem happens and do something about it. So colon cancer, uh, you talked about that. Lynch syndrome is the, the technical term for that, but a genetic tendency to colon cancer. If cancer's run in your family, it may be one of these five genes. Uh, breast cancer, now there's a lot of causes for breast cancer, but the top two genes are 
BRCA1 and 2. Sometimes people call them BRCA1 and 2. And we look at those genes as well. And then four genes for high cholesterol, hypercholesterolemia is the technical term. If you have a change, a major change in any one of those genes in those three conditions, we tell you about it from the beginning. That's the first part of the study results. Around one in 75 people has a major change in one of those genes, and we can do something about it. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. You know, Angelina Jolie, I yeah. think, made the, the BRCA1 and 2. Yeah. Um, pretty famous when she was diagnosed after a history like within her family and then decided to, to take some preventative measures. Um, but at least it brought it to the forefront of people's knowledge that, yeah. that you can look for this and, and sort of avoid long-term. Well, and she did uh, what is not required, right? She, she had mastectomy and oophorectomy. Again, this is a uh, very public information. Um, and that's not the only approach. Sometimes just early mammograms or breast MRIs um, or other screening techniques can find cancer at its very early stages or, or find things that are precancerous. And so I think that's one option, meaning Angelina Jolie's approach, but there's other options too. It's pretty simple as to who's eligible. You need to have an MUSE account, a MyChart account. So if you have one already, that's easy. If you don't have one, you can sign up for it uh, through MUSC, through your MUSC um, healthcare what is that? Your MUSC Epic account. Uh, after that, you need to be an adult, 18 and older, and uh, you need to be willing to participate. That's just about it. There's a few other small questions that are on the form, um, and it's not for everybody, but it's hopefully something that people will want to participate in. And remember, this is a, a free study, so if someone contacts you, and we've had a couple of examples of scammers and people who call you on your cell phone and say, They've heard of the study, and they, they might just be phishing. It's what it's called. Uh, they'll say, could you send us your credit card number or your Social Security number? And the answer certainly is no. We'll never ask you for that information, and we'll, we certainly won't be charging for things related to this study. Well, let's talk to somebody who's listening right now, a younger person who maybe is like, hmm, I, I think there's some tendency for people to, to think, I don't know if I want to know. Yeah. Um, so maybe talk to that, but also maybe walk me through what this person would do to get in, on board with what you're doing and to find this information out and then reassure them that when they do find this information, you know, that's actually a good thing yeah. and that moves towards a, a solution. Yeah, I, I think I have a few thoughts along those lines. First and foremost, if you find a genetic tendency, it doesn't mean the cancer is going to happen or the heart disease is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, these are the three conditions we think you know, are proactive that you can do something about it if you find out early. So back to that idea of knowledge is power. Uh, the other part of it is, I think that sense of like, I don't want to know, it's a common one. Uh, it's not for everybody. Some people just don't want to know and, and that's okay. We won't force anybody to do this, but we, we do think it's a good idea for people who have cancer or heart disease in their family to sign up and find out, do they carry something that we can track and look for? Um, so I, I hope it's something that people will will listen to and hear and say, I, I won't be worried about this. I'll, I'll be proactive about it. Well, what's the process of getting in the pipeline? Yep. Uh, it's easy. You sign up online. And I know that might not sound easy to everybody, but if you have a MUSC MyChart account in there, you'll see under the research tab, a study that you can sign up for called NRDNASC. The other is to go through our website, which is nrdnasc.org. So that's not .com, but .org. Uh, from there, that takes you directly to your MyChart. Sign in through there. Read a long consent form. Because there's research involved, you have to go through a lot of pages of understanding exactly what we're doing with the DNA and the information that you provide. 
after that, once you've signed up and taken a short test, it's a few questions that say, did you actually read the stuff we asked you to read? Uh, from there, once you've signed up, you have two choices to provide a saliva sample, a DNA sample, uh, either through one of the places where we're collecting them or by mail. If you live far away and you don't want to drive into the city, just click that box and we'll send you a kit in the mail. And that's something you can just follow the directions, provide saliva in that kit and mail it off. It's all done for free, including the, the mailing. And you actually get, and I've done this. Yes, good. Um, I am a participant. Um, and you get two sets of results, which are, are both pretty fascinating. Uh, the first set that actually came in, um, it actually preceded the genetic results for those uh, genetic mutations that they're looking for. Um, but the first set was actually pretty fun to read and, and to look at with my kids. And, yeah. it, and it told um, whether or not I was genetically predisposed to um, things like having freckles, which I am. Um, <laughs> and um, But also, like whether or not it was built for endurance versus speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's endurance, by the way. Yeah. Um, so you, know, you kind of get that same sort of fun genetic info yeah. in addition to just the clinical information as well. So both sets were kind of fun and to read and then review with my children as well. They kind of sort of start to give you a whole picture of who you are as an individual and how your genes played a role yeah. in that. So You know, it's really a tendency too. That's one of the areas where we've had the, the biggest uh, list of pushback and saying, hey, I really do like caffeine or I, yeah. I don't have curly hair. Uh, and so those are just tendencies. Those aren't exact. So right. remember in that first part, if you get something back that says, hey, you may have freckles or you're predisposed to freckles, but you don't have a lot of freckles, that's still okay. It's just down to the odds, but it's not a, an automatic, like a lot of genetics. Yeah, it's never a 100%. Correct. It's just yeah. whether or not you have a tendency towards it or not. It also provides ancestry information, right? It, yes. We've had people who signed up saying I was adopted and I wanted to find out more about where I came from. Uh, and that information is available. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things that's not part of your medical record, but it's interesting. And all right, we'll talk about the medical record part. When that comes in, what if there's something scary in there? Yeah. Tell me, talk to the person who yeah. just opened the envelope. Absolutely. And that's an important part where we've really made sure that we provide the support that we think is required. So if you have one of those three conditions, the top conditions that we're looking for at the first part of the study, we uh, will provide a genetic counseling visit that's usually done by phone or video or in some way that's easy for you to talk through what do these results mean and what are the next steps because that's the important part. Uh, we don't leave you on your own and we're not going to push it back to your primary care physician that might say, I don't know what to do. Uh, we'll help you connect and again, that's all done for free. Uh, that will walk through what are the results not only for you but what are the implications for your family and how can they take next steps to be proactive about whether they carry the same tendency. So that's just on the positive side. On the negative side, you just get a message that said the three conditions, the 11 genes look good. You mentioned that this is also a research study, and I yeah. think I mentioned that you were the principal investigator with the word investigate um, in there. Um, so what is the research piece of, of the NRDNASC? Yeah, there's a lot of pieces, and thanks for asking, because I think uh, at the top of my list, um, when you think about what's normal DNA, we have reasons to think certain DNA sequences are, are more common or normal, and that's based on these registries of people who, like this study, have provided a sample and, and it's cataloged, it's available online, and no, no one's name is tied into those. Um, and that may be someone from London or Boston or California, and that's not South Carolina or the Southeast US. So having good representation for what's normal, what's common, what's rare in this part of the country is, is important for us to know what are those changes when we see them. 
Second on the list is understanding diseases better. So I talked about three conditions that are top tier for CDC and for our program for screening, but there's a lot of other things that we're interested in. What are the genetic factors involved with high blood pressure or liver disease or other conditions that we might be uh, investigating here at MUSC or in conjunction with our colleagues at Helix, a company that's working on this with us. Yeah, and it takes large data sets um, in order to be able to explore those things and to arm, you know, a community of researchers to, with enough data yeah. uh, to be able to really look in and start to understand what are those genetic changes that may be sort of an underlying cause of certain conditions. That way we can then sort of do the next step of targeting better treatments for them. Um, and that was what it appealed to me about participating. Yeah. You know, it was just um, being part of the larger sort yeah. of population health sort of movement and knowing that my small contribution yeah. uh, could impact in an aggregated way something really sort of impactful and beautiful in my mind. And I think that gets back to, well, who might be interested? And we want everybody who's interested. Um, and so if you're healthy, we're interested. If you have a condition that no one understands, please sign up because that's where we can try to figure it out. We'll have your DNA. And we're looking at, you know, we didn't talk about this already, but we're looking at all of your genes. So that's 20,000 genes uh, and some other portions of the DNA that, that help us understand why diseases happen. So I think there's a lot of information we'll be able to have. And if you're alone or feel like you're alone with a rare condition, there may be others at MUSC that have that same condition and, and hopefully who are participating and we can compare those DNA sequences. Yeah. Bring okay. together a community of, Absolutely. of people who struggle. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and you just alluded to it, but I think it is important to reinforce that it does take a full community, right? And and so the goal is to get a really broad set of people. You know, mm -hmm. we need sort of a diverse array of ages and genders and races in order to actually be able to really look at these things. Yeah, it's such an important part of, of this study. So we, we don't want this study to be just, you know, what's happening in Charleston. We want it to represent the state of South Carolina. So that's people who are here with uh, different ethnicity, different background, different medical conditions. Um, and whether you're urban or in the cities, wherever you're, if you're, if you grew up here, if your family's been here for many generations, or if you moved in here from someplace else, that's that's what we're interested in understanding, and that's part of the program is to have good representation of everybody in the study. We talked a little bit about how to participate, but what is the actual act? Um, can you describe mm -hmm. what's expected and, and how they actually donate yeah. DNA samples? Yeah. So I think that's a question a lot of people have is what, what happens to my DNA afterwards? It, and is someone sharing it? Where's where's it going? Right. Privacy um, concerns privacy, and all that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so it's such an important part of this. And I, I'm glad to talk through that in detail and hopefully dispel some rumors or myths about it. First and foremost, it does get into your medical record. So, uh, we had the early discussion if someone says, here's my DNA, but I don't want it back in my medical records. We don't want you to participate. We want this to improve your health care. So that's the whole goal. Uh, who owns that DNA? Everybody owns their own DNA. That's a Supreme Court decision. You, you, no one at MUSC or Helix, our partners or anyone else will own that genetic information. There's certainly um, ways that we can remove your name, your date of birth, any, any information about you and, and just apply a code. And that's what we've done. Uh, and that goes into a database for the research side of it so that your name and your date of birth or your address aren't part of it, but we do have the ties to your medical conditions and those are the ways that we do the research. 
So I imagine that a question that you get often um, is concerns about what happens with their health insurance um, or their life insurance if they find out that they have one of these uh, CDC tier one genetic mutations. Yeah. Um, do you have a response? Like, can you share what, what you tell people? Absolutely. And thanks again for asking. So first and foremost, uh, it's law, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, that you can't use genetic information on health insurance or employment information. Uh, however, there are things like life insurance or long-term care insurance that are subject to um, DNA results being there. Uh, when you have a life insurance policy, a new condition or a new genetic piece of information will not affect your policy. Your policy stands. And remember, life insurance, they're in the business of predicting when you're going to die, and so they're going to take all information into account. They'll take your zip code, they'll take your income, they'll take your gender, your age, your everything into account. And one of those things is, well, your, your genetic information. If you have a genetic tendency to cancer or heart disease, they'll use that. So I think if people are thinking about going out and buying a life insurance policy other than what they might get through employment, do it beforehand. That's a good idea. Uh, if you already have your policy, don't be dissuaded because that policy will remain intact. And then finding the genetic tendency should help in the long run in terms of preventing the condition. You know, just thinking, I, I mentioned that I had participated in the study and am a proponent of just doing this from a population health standpoint, but I actually chose to participate in this very specifically after a conversation with um, my gynecologist um, because I'm at an age and I have a strong family history of colon cancer. So I am someone who had to start getting colonoscopies in my 20s because my parents uh, both had polyps in their early 50s and they sort of roll back um, 20 years. And so you know, you kind of like, well, colon cancer and gynecology. Um, but they were worried about Lynch. And what I didn't know was if you are someone with Lynch syndrome, right, um, you have to worry about other organs as well. And so it, it ended up being a way to get some genetic info that was needed to help me make some other decisions for my own personal path of care uh, based on my age and um, just other things in life that, that I needed to consider and so to be able to inform my three daughters as mm -hmm. well. Um, and so actually participating in the in our DNA SC was a way to actually sort of fulfill both of those things, to participate yeah. in a large initiative and also arm my physician with some information that she needed in order to help guide my own care. Mm -hmm. And then fortunately for me, I was actually negative for Lynch. And so while I do have a strong family history of colon cancer, it's not due to one of those genetic mutations that we have to worry about. So yeah. that was actually really helpful information. So now I know, you know, continue with my colon cancer screening the way that we have been, but it allowed us to make some other decisions in terms of um, my own personal care for other things that, you know, was all based on the results of, of this test and, and, a, and a negative but positive outcome yeah. for me. <laughs> That's great. Will. Yeah. So knowledge is power for it real. It is. Yes. It is. And so, you know, for for someone like myself or my family is where you are sort of working through, you know, you have a strong family history. It can help, you know, outside of just I already knew I had a strong family history right. for colon cancer, but it yeah. helped guide other decisions as well. It can become even more powerful if someone in your family has the condition and then we find the genetic factor and we can say specifically Correct. like yes or no on that. Um, so we're, we're, we're a screening study and so we're good in that sense. And it's so good to hear that the results were negative for you. But if there's a family member with early cancer and we can say there's the cause, we can really check yes or no for you more yep. definitively. Can you give us any anecdotes about uh, some interactions you've had with some participants in the study who maybe have reached out to you and mm -hmm. needed some guidance? 
One person um, I mentioned uh, was uh, adopted and, and had no idea what their background was in terms of ethnicity or uh, family history. And so uh, we've had a few people reach out in that regard of saying, this is really great for me to understand a little more about where I came from. Uh, for people who have a positive result, in some cases it's helped them understand why they had early cancer. In some other cases it's you know, an easy answer for why their cholesterol is high. It's not their diet or some of it's their diet, but it's not all their diet. Um, and for a lot of people, it also provides that family connection. I think it's, it's taking those next steps. It's not, sometimes it's really obvious based on your family history that there's something going on and then being empowered to say, well, so my children will have this gene or they won't have that gene or, or to te test family members who are at risk and then to be armed early to, to prevent disease. That's our goal. Well, point us to, towards the future a little bit. Um, what, what are your hopes for the findings that you, you may, you know, come out of this research? It seems yeah. like the, the, the possibilities are massive. Yeah. Yeah. And as a clinician, the number one thing on my list is to make health better. And that gets back to the find the condition, find the tendency to health care problems before they happen and be proactive about it. Don't get caught by surprise. So that's at the top of my list in terms of hopes, and, and we're already doing that. So I'm, I'm glad about that, but we can do more of it. Uh, second on my list is the research. I think on the research side of things, understanding disease better, uh, being able to figure out why certain rare conditions or common conditions happen because of the genetic research. And third, we didn't really talk about this too much. We talked about it a little bit, about the ability to, to target specific medicines, back to the precision medicine. We're automating that so that your doctor doesn't have to think about that when you have this when you're when you're part of this study uh, your genetic information goes into your healthcare record at MUSC and if a doctor puts in a prescription an acetylcholinase you mentioned that example and you have that deficiency or it might be something as simple as codeine a, a common medicine in cough syrup roughly five percent of people don't respond to it at all they could take it and not ever have much of an effect another five percent have a super response so just a little bit goes a long way and we can figure that out in advance and say, don't use that medicine, choose an alternative. So, so those are some of the examples of where I want to see this study continue to grow. It's exciting. I think it really is exciting. Um, that sort of leads into that field of, you know, with the fancy name, pharmacogenetics, yeah. right? And so yeah. can you tailor the drug choices that you're giving to people based on how they're going to respond yeah. to them um, so that it's less of a trial and error, yeah. um, but really sort of tailored to that specific individual and that and their own specific way of, of processing things, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, there's lots of medicines for anxiety or depression that really have strong factors that we know and we can use. Uh, there's a common medicine that we use for people who have a stent. I'm a cardiologist, and if you get a stent in one of your arteries, we use a medicine called clopidogrel or Plavix. If that medicine uh, is prescribed for you and you have a genetic tendency to not metabolize it, it may not work very well for you. And we don't have time when we're putting the stent in to get that result back, but if you have your DNA sequenced in the beginning, we'll have that information available for you later. I mean, shortening the time from, you know, knowing what the the issue is and how to get the help. I mean, that's what it's all about. This is this is fascinating. It just seems like a almost like a shortcut. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's something interesting. Like, because um, I think this gets back to why was the study started? It wasn't my idea. I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't. Uh, it comes from the highest levels of MUSC, and I think uh, we we want to see genetics be part of healthcare, and that's where we want to lead the way at MUSC. So, Dan, we're looking for the, the uh, Tier 1 CDC ones now. Um, what would you like to see included in the future? Yeah, I think 
there's a lot of things that we'll be able to do pretty easily. And so we've got a plan already uh, to roll out additional genetic testing that'll be done in your doctor's office. You won't get caught by surprise, but it will be to say, we wanna look at you know, 63 genes rather than just a handful of genes related to cancer. So that, that will be available through your doctor. So that's not something you do on your own or that, that I do as the study principal investigator for participants. And then there's some other things where we are at the cutting edge of research. And I'll point to my colleague, Chip Norris, who I understand has been on the podcast. And Chip and Courtney Gensimer are really excited about some research discoveries they've already made to understand why some people are a little more flexible with hypermobility or hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. We can take CHIP's results and the exciting research that's happened here at MUSC and be able to apply that clinically, meaning we'll be able to do a clinical genetic test to say yes or no, you have that genetic tendency that was identified once CHIP's research is published in the near future. It's really fascinating, and, and I think I always like to think about what a fantastic place MUSC actually is, that this is like the perfect marriage of like two really exciting studies that are going on and to see how they intersect and, and really can improve overall health um, and, and, you know, knowledge for people going forward, right? So. I'm, I'm going to turn that around, too, which is to yeah. say uh, what we can do in the opposite direction is take Chip's exciting research results, the specific genes he's interested in, and look at, say, 20 or 50,000 people who are in this study, and currently it's 23,000, but in the future it'll be more, and say, well, what are the other conditions in their medical files? How much are they having trouble with joint problems versus fast heart rates versus fatigue or long COVID or whatever that condition might be and see how that gene or his discovery plays out in other contexts outside of EDS. Well, let's kind of end up with something practical for the listener. Um, this is obviously the way medicine's going. I mean, yeah. we're, we're headed there whether, you, whether we like it or not. And, and the, the benefits are just myriad, right? And so tell me what, it, what you predict um, – this kind of research uh, yielding in the next 20 years or so yeah. as far as how medicine is going to work. Because I would imagine, you know, with all this information at your fingertips, a lot of exciting things are yeah. going to come down the pipe. And it's not that far off. Yeah. 20 years is forever, right? Right. <laughs> 20 years ago, we were just figuring out the first uh, human genome sequence. And wow. it, accelerate that pace in the near future. We're ready to do these studies now. And these are outside of the NRDNASC program. But in my clinical and research practice, I see a lot of people with inherited heart disease, we can now put a gene back into the heart. Technically, we can do that. And so the research studies to say, is that safe? Is it effective to put a gene that's missing or deficient or abnormal into someone's heart and make their heart normal again or, or slow it down or stop it from getting worse? And even more exciting, there's new technology that alters DNA. So I'm not talking about um, things, you know, altering normal DNA. That's certainly not something we would want to do. Uh, but if your gene is defective and we know how to fix it, we can do that technically. And so those studies are rolling out. Amazing. Well, Dr. Daniel Judge, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. And uh, we will we'll add links uh, along with the show notes uh, to direct people towards how they can get involved with this. And we're excited about the future. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Innovatively Speaking Podcast with the Medical University of South Carolina. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, leave a rating and review. To hear more innovative ideas and to share your own, subscribe to the show or visit us on our webpage, web.musc.edu slash innovation. And remember, don't hesitate to innovate.